Well, speaking of victory, um, I want to show you all something. <laughs> it, it was worth every step. Okay. Um, it's not mine, it's Sarah's. I didn't race yesterday. Uh, but I don't mind taking credit uh, for anything and everything she does. But I thought I'd show that off to you. You know? I like it. It's got the little Illinois thing that uh, spins around in it. I don't know if you see that. It just, it's just neat. I, you couldn't do that if it were the Oklahoma Marathon. You'd, you'd fall off. <laughs> right? Anyway, but I thought it was neat. You know, the, the showcase of this marathon and half marathon and 5K and 1K and, you know, the, the, the showcase was the strategically placed finish line at the famed Memorial Stadium, Right? I mean, 50-yard line finish. I mean, they made a big deal out of that, especially on the website. If you, you know, kind of uh, took a gander at that, they did. They mar- well, the marketers really made something out of that. You know, here's a, here it is right here. There's the memorial stadium. A fantastic 50-yard finish line at the awesome, awesome, awesome <laughs> memorial stadium. All combining to make this a runner's dream come true. I, I thought I was my wife's dream come true. No, it was the 50-yard line. It was this. Oh, oh and that, that wasn't the only sound bite. See all the pain, passion, and pride. A preacher wrote that. Huh? I'm telling you, they had a preacher. Pain, passion, pride as the runners cross the, you know, pain, pa- power, Perseverance, puking is all the, you know, whatever. <laughs> the yard line. What about this next one? Finish in one of the country's finest outdoor stadiums. Well, for $120 million, it ought to be, huh? Do you think so? My goodness. You bet. The, 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 the fabulous 50-yard line finish at the famed memorial. I'm getting good at these alliteration things, man. I could make all of you sick. But that was a big deal in this marathon. It was a big deal. The finish line, where it is. Huh? It's significant to consider where the finish line wasn't. Right? right? They didn't have the finish line at Walmart, did they? They did not have the finish line at the custard cup, though I would have voted for that. <laughs> huh? I'll be there waiting for you, Sarah. <laughs> that. Oh, yeah, turtle Sunday in tow. There it is. Turtle is just rolling off my tongue here. Tongue, turtle Sunday in tow, tongue. Famed finish line, passion, pain, pride. Now, finish lines are significant. They're important, aren't they? And this one was strategically placed because they wanted you to know that this race was worth it. It was worth all of the blisters. It was worth the stitches. 
It's worth the getting up in oh dark 30 hour in January on that blustery, snowy morning so that you can pound the pavement and grind out the miles in the winter in the faith that you would cross that finish line in April. It was worth it. It was worth it. And, 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 and for, for only a few did victory mean coming in first. For, for the many, for the most, it was finishing, just finishing. And it was worth the finish. And, and that's what made this race significant because it's got a significant finish line. Huh? You imagine, can you imagine running a marathon with no finish line? Huh? What? On your mark? Get set? Go. Now what? Well, just go. Well, well where? Well, just, it's, a, it's a postmodern marathon. Make it up as you go. Run, Forrest, run! Well, I mean, okay, well, when can I pick up this? Well, just, it's okay. You'll get your wife's. I mean, what? I mean, marathons have finish lines. You've got to have finish lines. No finish line means no... No goal, no aim, no objective, no purpose, no meaning. You're not going to have a finish line and you want to run a race, just get on a treadmill. You may as well just do that. Some people live life like that. Do you know of anybody who lives life like that? No, they, no, no finish line. They just go. They just, you know. But even that, when you think about it, even that, no finish line is a finish line. Oh, yeah, because everybody has a finish line. And whatever is ultimate to you, that is your finish line. Whatever you value most, that is your finish line, you see. And you say, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm independent. No, no, <laughs> even independent people are dependent on their independence. No, no, everybody has a finish line. What's your finish line? Huh? What is it? And, and the thing of it is, when you cross the finish line, when you expend the energy, when you take the time, when you go through all of the training and the discipline, when you arrive at that finish line, will, will it have been worth the race? Will it? You experienced the discipline? You expended the energy? Was it worth it? Was it? Now, that depends on the quality of your finish line, right? Now, this morning, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that is the consummate finish line. It is the ultimate finish line. It is the finish line that has been crafted and created by the God of this universe who has designed us and therefore knows us better than we know ourselves And he says in his wisdom, you pursue this finish line because I've made you. I have made you for this finish line. You want to see it? It's in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. It's on pages 872 and 873 of your church Bibles. And I want us to read it. And I want us to read it. I'm going to need your help on this one. Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 to 19. Now, some of these words up here from these verses are in a, um, 
It's a, it's a, it's a springtime pastel Illini orange color. And I'm going to read those. But when you see the white, bold letters, that's your part. And I want you to just cut loose. Are you with me? Are you ready? Here we go. Get it? Let's do that again. When I say get it, you say got it, I'll say good. Get it? Good. Here we go. Verse 15 says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders, now remember, the 24 elders in the book of Revelation, it's a symbolic number. It represents the 12 tribes of Israel from the Hebrew Bible, and then it represents the 12 apostles from the New Testament, and they represent the entire redeemed community of God, the 24 elders. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. Now remember, that's an Old Testament image. The ark of the covenant represented God's power and God's own presence. The ark of his covenants. And there came flashes of lightning. You know how in Memorial Stadium, when we score, the fireworks go off, huh? huh? Here's some fireworks here. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Someone just scored. Someone just scored big. Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 to 19. The ultimate finish line. The ultimate finish line. The ultimate finish line which the Apostle John sees, the, the, the finish line that God has created and fashioned is a massive kingdom worship service. It is a jam-packed memorial stadium-filled place, a community where every runner, every finisher at the top of their lungs in voices that never go hoarse, they shout, that this world and this culture and this kingdom, they have been swallowed up, taken over, completely consumed by the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is king. Jesus, who alone is emperor. Jesus, whose great and royal power was first witnessed in his resurrection from the dead. This victory in these verses at that finish line is consummated. God has acted 
to create a kingdom people. That portion of the Lord's Prayer, which we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth, at the finish line, that prayer is consummated and completed and finished. That's what we're looking at here. The finish line is one where Christ's authority is finally uncontested. Finally. Jesus said in the Gospels, all authority has been given to me. But right now, even today, Christ's authority and his kingship, they are being contested. Wouldn't you agree? It is being challenged. But this finish line reveals the uncontested rule of Christ. And it is a finish line with no more evil, no more enemies. Jesus has enemies, you know. He has friends, and he has enemies. But at the consummate finish line, at the ultimate finish line, there will be no more enemies, no more evil, no more Satan, no more sin. It is a finish line where Jesus will take care of his enemies And he will take care of his friends. And his people will cry out. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God. And on that day, on that day, there will be just one, one federal government official. It'll be Jesus, the king, and his kingdom. No more Homeland Security, no more FBI, no more CIA, no more, in, no more NSA, no more elections, no more presidential debates. <laughs> yeah, no more politicians. None of that. In the new heavens and the new earth at the ultimate finish line, there will be no more three branches of government. Well, you know what? Why, 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 what is up with that? Why do, we have, why do we have three branches of government? Because, well, because we're a democracy. But why are we? Because we don't, because we don't believe that humans are fit to rule. That's why, you see. And really, really. And so, and so the, the, these three branches of government, we don't trust one person with all three of those. So we've got to kind of split it up and diffuse it, you see. And we don't even trust someone to be president longer than eight years, do we? Huh? Why? Because this is a broken, sinful, fallen world. And we don't trust all that power in one person. But at the ultimate finish line, Jesus will be that person because he is qualified. And he will take power. And when he takes power, then we can throw away our locks and throw away our security systems and, 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 and get rid of, there will be no jails, no supermax facilities, no cops. It's just going to be Jesus and us. And we are going to give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Look at verse 17. It says, the one who is and who was. Now, now, now notice that's different than what we've read before. It, it, it used to be the one who is and who was and who is to come. But you see, it's different here. There is no is to come because we're at the finish line. 
There's no more is to come. We're just here we are. And Jesus is in charge. And it's really quite powerful. Really quite powerful. And, and, it, and it is what God has intended all along. All along. The, the, the first two chapters in the book of Genesis and the last two chapters in the book of Revelation, that's the world that God has intended all along. All along. And that's the world that God has created us for. This ultimate, consummate finish line. Oh, my. And, and, and if there is anything in your heart, if there's just anything that just kind of, if, if you're thinking in your spirit, man, that's, oh, would that it would be, oh, if that could be true. Oh, oh, you know, it is true. You know, that you are, that you are in the, even the slightest bit hungry for that or thirsty for that or, or desirous of a taste for that indicates the reality of it. Just as, just as when you feel physical hunger, that must mean that something called food exists. And when you feel physical thirst, that must mean something called drink exists. Here, if you are longing, if you're longing for what you just can't describe, maybe it, what you can't describe is this right here, another world. The ultimate finish line with Jesus and us. Wow, yeah. That's what we're looking at here. And, and someone might ask, well, what, what, what happened? What went wrong? <laughs> what went wrong? Oh, the prophet Isaiah tells us what went wrong, right? All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, to his own way. Yeah, that's, that's what happened. Can you imagine in yesterday's race? Now, I understand in yesterday's race, when you got to church in Randolph, those who were going toward the full marathon would continue west on Church Street, and those who were at the half marathon, you know, turned south on Randolph and headed back to the stadium. And so it was kind of two different courses, but it was the same finish line. Now, can, can you imagine running in a, in a marathon where you would get in a point of a race where all of a sudden you, you would like be serenaded or you would be, you know, tempted and you, you would hear voices saying, no, go come this way. And you were being called to a course in the race that would lead you to a different finish line, competing finish lines. There was only one finish line in yesterday's race. And in many ways, in many ways, yesterday's race is much easier than life because you and I, you and I both know that life out there has different competing finish lines and voices are calling us. Jesus is calling us. The world is calling us and there are these different finish lines and, the, and there's, there's only one true finish line. These other finish lines are false finish lines. And they're beckoning us and they're calling us. And so you have to choose wisely because the finish line, you choose your finish line and then that finish line determines your behavior. I mean, the behavior required to participate in the 1K race is by far different than the behavior required for the 26-mile race, right? So you choose your finish line and then 
then your finish line dictates how you live, dictates your behavior. And the, so you better choose wisely because there are, are false finish lines out there. Our small group is uh, studying a book right now. Um, it is about one of Jesus' parables, the parable of the prodigal son. It is a book written by a uh, pastor and author, Tim Keller, and the book is titled The Prodigal God. It's a wonderful title. I don't have time to explain it by the book. It's a good book. But in this book, we, we see these, these two sons, and, and, and you know we know it as the parable of the lost son, and Jesus doesn't call it that. Jesus doesn't call it the parable of the prodigal son. He doesn't really title it at all, but we really should title it the parable of the loving father and his two lost sons. You see, both of those sons were lost. They were lost because they were pursuing, they were in hot pursuit of false finish lines. And, and most of us here know about the younger son who was pursuing the false finish line of irreligious living Irreligious living, he was the son who came to his father and said, Father, I would like my inheritance now, which in that day, and in this day means, Dad, I wish you were dead. I don't want you. I just want your stuff. Give it to me now. And his father gave him. He divided, uh, he divided his life. And, and that son pursued the false finish line of irreligious living. And, and that meant he pursued, <laughs> he pursued much wine and much women and, and much wild living. And when he got to that finish line, he actually arrived at that finish line. And when he got to that finish line, he was bankrupt. He found himself eating pig slop. Remember, this is a Jewish parable. And see, that's the thing about false finish lines. You know, you, you, you may get there. And if you get there, you realize that there's a big difference between wanting it and having it. Right? And if in your marathon you passionately pursue money and that's your finish line, then you're, it's going to dictate your behavior. You're going to become greedy. You're going to. You will. If you passionately pursue beauty, if, you, if, you, if that is your finish line, then, then you, you're going to become a self-centered prima donna. You will. If you passionately pursue drugs or chemical abuse, then then you're going to just, you're going to destroy your body. You could destroy your family, your marriage. Do we not just hear Mike's faith story? If you passionately pursue your career, if you make that your finish line, well, then you, I mean, you're just naturally then going to get into office politics and jockeying for power, you see? And see, and you might get it. You might. You might arrive at that finish line, but once you get at that finish line, you won't be satisfied because, church family, there is a difference between uh, stuff and the ability to enjoy stuff. There's a difference between beauty and the ability to enjoy beauty. There's a difference between work 
and the ability to enjoy work. And both are gifts from God, and both must come from God. And this young man found out that when he got to that line, he was in the wrong race. What's he going to do now? But you know what? There's another false line that is often neglected, and this parable just brings it out. And it's, it's not just the false finish line of irreligious living. It's the false finish line of religious legalism, and that's the elder brother. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was the elder brother whose mentality, whose finish line was, if I do enough, if I serve enough, if I go to church enough, if I give enough, if I act morally enough, then that will set me apart. And, and especially if I compare myself to my younger brother. You see, that elder brother, he kind of needed his younger brother's irreligious living to make his religiosity look even better and higher and more superior. The elder brother's race made him brag about how obedient he was, especially when he sized himself up between his his little bratty brother. And so when this elder brother went to Salt and Light, or when this elder brother signed up for the Peru trip or the Dominican Republic trip, or when this elder brother agreed to support a compassionate international child, or when he was out there doing all these things to feed the poor, he really wasn't feeding the poor, he was feeding himself. He did it for himself. Because it made him feel morally superior. And so, you know, he has this finish line out here, but the thing of it is, he, you know, I don't know that he ever really gets there because, you see, the, the finish line just keeps getting extended. That's what happens when you're into religiosity or churchianity or moralism. You just keep striving and striving. And am I ever going to get there? Am I ever going to make it? And, and on the one hand, the one brother achieved it, and he was not satisfied, and the other brother was striving for it, and he kept feeling like he was falling shorter and shorter, and yet he felt more superior, and it was twisted. It was twisted. And and if he did happen to get there, what did he become? Well, what every religious moralist becomes, a smug, pompous, self-righteous person. And both boys were lost because they were pursuing the the wrong finish line. And you know what? Hey, our church has both brothers. Our church has both brothers. And both brothers are lost. What's going to happen? And you see, here's the deal. Once you get on the course, you can't get off. You can't. You can't turn around. You can't get off. Well, you're not going to be able to. You need to be rescued because you're enslaved. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Because the gospel, the good news, is that we have a God who runs after us. That's his course. And that's what Mike was talking about earlier. He said, would you stop moving? Just stop and turn around. And when you turn around, you'll find that God has been pursuing you and chasing you and he's extending his hand of friendship to you will you just take his hand and we have a father who runs and you have to understand we're in a 21st century computer 
technological, information-oriented culture? How will we ever get into the skin of a Middle Eastern pastoral, shepherding, patriarchal culture? Because patriarchs in that day never ran. Their servants ran, the kids ran, but not the patriarchs because they were to be dignified. But in this parable, The father hikes up his robe and bears his hairy legs and he goes after his boys. And can you get it in your heart that that's our God? That he's running after you and he's waiting for you to just turn around and take his hand. And that's what he did in the person of Jesus Christ so that these false finish lines could be destroyed. And here's the good news. The good news is that all of these false finish lines require you to behave in a certain way. The the false finish line of money just requires you to be greedy, yes. But the ultimate finish line, the finish line that we read here in Revelation chapter 11, it has nothing to do with your behavior. It has everything to do with the behavior of Jesus Christ. In his sacrificial life and death, Jesus, who was fully pleasing to the Father, he suffered so that he could give me his perfect goodness. In his life, he shows us the life he wants us to live. And by his death, he rescued me from the destructiveness, the destructiveness of false finish lines, the destruction that happens to others and the destruction that happens to self. Listen, don't ever believe anyone who says to you, God accepts you just as you are. No, he doesn't. He accepts you as Jesus is. That's what he does. See, that's the gospel. If God accepted me just as I, just as I am, why would Jesus need to die on the cross? God's love is not unconditional. It is contra-conditional because Jesus bore the curse I deserve. God never accepts me as I am. He accepts me as I am in Christ. And being in Christ means letting Jesus change what is unacceptable to God about me. And when he rose from death, Jesus proved who he was and unveiled our destiny, new body destiny, new heavens, new earth in a world which is restored to Eden, joy and peace and justice and glory. That's the finish line. And, and that's why Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, therefore, since here's the memorial stadium, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author. Oh, that word author literally means trailblazer. He created the course. He fashioned the finish line. He got there. He created the city once he arrived at the finish line and he's built it and now he is in charge of it the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, 
scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. That's, see, Christianity offers a better finish line. It does. And when you run the race that God has marked out, you see, there in that memorial stadium packed arena, that community, you too hold this up. And you too shout in victory. But the medal that you received was not earned by you. <laughs> See, any more than this medal was earned by me. <laughs> you hold forth a medal that was earned by the God we worship and the God who rescued. And that's why these people in Revelation chapter 11 are appreciative and grateful. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty. Huh? If your life and spirit and soul are characterized by appreciation and gratitude, wow, yeah, okay, you're getting it. You're getting it because redeemed people are grateful people. They know. They know. And, and, and you don't have to prove anything because Jesus has already proved everything. And you can actually, on your way toward the finish line that Jesus has created, you can actually enjoy the race. You can actually enjoy the race. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to be in such a hurry to finish the race that you neglect the relationships that God has set before you here on earth. And on the other hand, you don't have to be afraid to finish as if the race is all there is because you know that once you arrive at the ultimate finish line, it's really going to be the ultimate start of new bodies, new heavens, new earth. That's why I love what C.S. Lewis wrote. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you get neither. What's your finish line? Jesus is offering you his, and it satisfies completely.